Thank you for being here. We're glad you're here. Thank you for those of you tuning in online and watching this later. Isn't that amazing how the Lord has enabled us now to talk to so many people and and this amazing technology we have. You think you're talking to a few hundred and you're talking to a few thousand. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Yes, it is. Amen. Well, open your Bible if you have one. Turn your phone on. Excuse me, I meant to say that properly. Get your phone Bible out. I'm going to read two passages and then I'm going to speak to you today on the expanding kingdom and the evolving church. The expanding kingdom and the evolving church. I said recently God's been doing more in the church and to the church in the last few years than he has through the church. And we're moving now into the transitional period. We've actually been in it for a season where we're moving into the era he was preparing us for. What he was transitioning us into. But before he can take us to the next phase of his plans, we have to go from that glory to glory. And the path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter till the full day. Not darker and darker, brighter and brighter. And we go from faith to faith, not defeat to defeat. We go from victory to victory, strength to strength, one verse says. Strength to strength. Everything about him that he's doing with us is increasing. So let's read 1 Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. 13 and 14, Daniel had a vision and he said, I kept looking in the night visions. By the way, if you read this entire chapter later, you'll find eight or nine times it says Daniel kept looking. It's that prophetic, revelatory gift and anointing that we talked about Friday night. It's not enough. It's not enough just to know what God said yesterday or what he spoke then. You have to keep looking and keep listening. So Daniel kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. He came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion. This is the Lord Jesus receiving this. To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. Obviously, there are many people in leading movements governments that don't like this, right? They don't like this passage. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. Now you need to, (laughs) you need to take comfort in that. The kingdom is secure. The domain of King Jesus is secure. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Now I'm going to read one more from Isaiah chapter 9. Great Christmas verse. You should read it more than just December though. Verse 6 says, For a child will be born to us, and a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, There will be no 
end to the increase of his government or peace. Doesn't just say, it doesn't just say there'll be no end to his government. That's pretty much what Daniel said. This one, this passage uses another word. There will be no end to the increase of his government or peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So we're part of a kingdom. A kingdom I, I, grew up, I grew up thinking, being taught that the kingdom of God was something that would occur in the future during a thousand year millennial reign of Jesus on the earth. I'm not sure how the theologians really got there because the kingdom has been in existence since the king has been in existence. It's not something coming, it's here and coming. It's here and it's increasing. A kingdom is the domain over which a king rules. It's the realm. So our king, obviously his kingdom, you can't go anywhere that doesn't include his kingdom. The reason it's expanding is because it's increasing in the hearts of people. It's not expanding in the sense that he finally gets ownership of or authority over more parts of the universe. It's expanding because it's expanding here in the hearts of people. So it's the realm over which he rules. So with that as an introduction, I'm gonna list several things that I believe God is shifting, changing in the thinking of we who are part of the kingdom and the church. Number one, the changing mindset of the church. We are now thinking, and this is by the way, this is, I don't like to, to throw the word remnant out often, but there is always a forerunning company in the church that goes before others. That doesn't, we're not, that doesn't mean we're smarter. We're not saying we're more spiritual. We're saying some go and plow and prepare the way others come on. There are others uh, who are more gifted in other ways. They can build, they can do this, that, and maybe they're great evangelists. But God has to have some who are forerunners, yes. pioneers, so there's always a remnant that he's using to move things forward. Now there's a remnant thinking this way now, but that will increase. So the first thing that's changing is leaders in the church are beginning to think more about extending kingdom rule and principles, not just building a local church or house. Amen. Extending kingdom rule not just building a local house or a local church. I was, when I was pastoring in Colorado Springs, God began moving me through this transition. I thought I understood these things. I guess at, at a certain level I did, but not at a practicing level because my focus was still building a congregation and my definition of success was how well can I build this congregation? How large can I make it? How fast can I do it? How much of a splash can this place make? And the Lord began to challenge me in, in this thinking. And he said, you can measure success that way if you want, but I, I don't measure success that way for you. And I, and I won't. I will only measure success where you're concerned by how much you impact the sphere of authority, the region that I've called you to. I will never judge you as successful because you build a large congregation or have a big following. I will only judge you as successful based on how much of my kingdom rule is impacting the region that you're in. Now that, that really began to mess with me because I, I knew 
in my heart that I was making a very small impact on my region. For the most part, I was impacting a few hundred people on Sunday morning. And I had to begin to shift my thinking and say, how, how would this happen? And it was very difficult because uh, most other pastors were in the same place I was. Their concern was their congregation. And there was just this subconscious thought that controlled all of us that if we just all do our job right and build our own little thing well, somehow God will miraculously use all of that to change all of this. But it didn't happen. All we changed was our house. And so I realized that churches were growing, but so was the divorce rate. Churches were growing, but so was violence in the home. And so was drug addiction in our city. And Colorado Springs was being, becoming known as a hub of evangelicalism in the nation. And people were writing stories about the city and how we were this stronghold of evangelicalism. And but. But as my prophetic gifting increased, I came to realize this is what it looks like outwardly, but internally my city is in trouble. Because I could discern and see things that most of them weren't looking at that were hidden, seeing them by the spirit. And I started trying to warn them and say, hey, we, 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 we better not believe our own press. Things are not as they look. And you know, how many of you think I was well received? <laughs> Eventually, and I, didn't, I was not belligerent about it. I just kept bringing it up. Eventually, I was sort of gradually, for some reason, more and more uninvited to things. We had a meeting. I didn't hear about this because they didn't want anybody raining on their parade because, and secondly, they didn't believe in me anyway, because their church was growing. Of course it was growing because they were pulling sheep from another fold. It was all transfer, but Hey, we measure by how big we can get it and how fast we can do it. Well, the hand, you know, the, the verdict is in now in Colorado Springs, even though I don't live there anymore. Uh, the statistics begin to show that everything I had warned about was true. And even one of the pastors that led that group came to me later and said, we're in real trouble. You were exactly right. And I'm not saying that to just say I was right. I'm saying it to, to uh, as an illustration that we can't judge success by what we see here or in a local church. There will never be a time when God leads us to not gather. So when you start preaching a message like this, some people start thinking you're dissing the local church. And, and that's not happening at all. It's, it's only, if, you, if you point out problems in a dysfunctional family, that doesn't mean that you're critical of family or home of a home. It means that you, that some things in that home are not right. And if we're going to have functional rather than dysfunctional people sent out into the, into the marketplace and life one day, things are going to have to change in that dysfunctional family. That's what we're saying. So what God has been doing is he's been challenging leaders just like he did myself. And he challenged me to begin to think differently and judge success differently. I began to realize, and I knew it, but it never really became a conscious thought to me. Things like he never said, seek ye first the church. He said, seek ye first the kingdom and seek first my rule. If you can get my dominion, the kingdom, the, the domain of a king, if you can get my rule into your city, things are going to be fine. Growing your church building or size congregation is not going to change anything out there. 
But if you get kingdom power and authority released out there, it'll change everything. So it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. He didn't say pray, church come, growth of the local church come and his will be done. He said, pray and decree your kingdom come, your will be done. That's not saying pray for the millennial reign of Jesus on the earth. That means pray for his kingdom rule to be released now in your situation on your region. That's what it means when it says kingdom come. It's here, but it needs to penetrate some things here. His kingdom is everywhere. He rules over all, but he's got he's to be, that kingdom authority has to be ministered here. Kingdom come, will be done. And I started thinking, you know, I started being challenged by these things. He didn't say preach the gospel of the church. He said, preach the gospel of the kingdom, the good news. Gospel means good news. The good news is not that we can gather here right now. The good news is not that there's a building we can meet in. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom is Jesus rules. And because he rules, we can do these things. So then I began to think this through and realize and had to start walking out the fact that the kingdom of God is not an outgrowth or extension of the church. The kingdom of God is not part of the church. It's just the opposite. The church the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the ecclesia is all part of the kingdom, his kingdom. And if you reverse that, everything gets met, then you're satisfied with what happens here. I'm not satisfied with what happens here. I'm, I'm satisfied only when what happens here is extended out there. So then I began to think, this is a huge, going to be a huge evolution in the thinking of leaders. Not, I began to think, not what is best for my local church, but what is best for the kingdom of God in my region? Might be better than having a couple thousand people. It might be better to plant three or four churches or 500. Maybe we ought to take this extra money we have and instead of expanding here, maybe we ought to plant an outreach into the heart of our city where all the drug abuse is and the gang violence. Maybe, maybe that would be better for the king and the kingdom than just building a racquetball court or a gymnasium. Come on. No, I'm not knocking fellowship. I'm just saying my thinking began to change. What would, what would the king want in order to extend his kingdom? And that'll mess with you as a pastor. Because you're not allowed to do, anything, to do things now where your number one priority is just this place. This vision. Here. And these sheep. Now your priority has to be, what does the king want? Not, the, not how happy can the sheep be? Messed with me. And it messed with the people more than me. When I started applying this, I grew my church one year from 700 to 400. I knew we were experiencing revival. I had to rebuild it with people that would think kingdom, not happy, happy, happy. So secondly, and these are very related, 
the evolving, the evolution that's happening in the church, which is a part of the expanding kingdom, was that is that people are becoming, and I've already alluded to this, but I just want to say it so it's now a clear point, becoming regional in vision and mission versus primarily congregational in ministry and vision. Regional in vision and mission versus primarily congregational. The leaders will begin to, as this expands, this mindset, this paradigm continues to change, leaders will love and pastor, care for, lead, impact the city and region they're called to, not just the congregation they lead. Doesn't mean that at times, you know, to pay bills, to take care of people, that there'll be times when you have to think what's good for this group of people. But that won't be the dominating, motivating thinking. That'll just be part of it. Because as a father, when my kids were small, I had to take care of my household and had to make sure they were fed and the bills were paid. They had a roof over there. I had to do that, but I couldn't just think us because I had to go to work. I had to prepare them for school and help them mature so they could not just live in my house and we all take care of each other all the time for the next 50 years. Because I wanted them to become functional, not dysfunctional, mature, responsible, expanding. I wanted multiplication out there. I didn't just want more kids. I wanted my kids to have kids. So I became apostolic, Father. I sent them. I married them off and sent them to their own homes. I didn't say, you just have to live here. If you find somebody, bring them in here. Because I'm not just a pastoral daddy, I'm an apostolic father. Apostles sinned. They govern, yes, they multiply, yes, but they're always thinking big picture. Not the small piece. So as this thinking evolves, and it's happening, but it's really stretching leaders. And I'll go to a place and teach things like this with a lot of leaders there. And they'll come up to me and they'll say things like, you know, I don't, I don't really have all this figured out yet. And, but, and I, I don't have language for it, but something is resonating in me when you say that. And I realize that's what I've been feeling. Because they're dissatisfied with the way it's been. And they're finally becoming honest with themselves as they watch the news and see what's happened around us, that the mindset we have had has failed. So we felt like we're building bigger ministries and churches. The world is going to hell around us. And we have a nation now that doesn't, that, that has completely lost their bearings, their foundation. They don't know anything about our history. Grad, we're graduating people who can't read and write, do arithmetic, and everything's gotten crazy. We just want to, we're just paying philosophers to pour garbage into their brain. And I talk to pastors and say, I'm just, I'm just tired of coming together every Sunday morning and giving my people a little pep talk to get them through the week. You know, I just kind of, we're not, I want to make a difference in my city. And so there's something stirring and we, everyone, may, there may not be language yet for everyone, but I tell you, when they start hearing this message, something goes off in them and leaders start saying, that's what I want. I want to make a difference in my city, in my region in marriages, in families. I want to change the, the drug addiction in my city. I want to change uh, the, the, the morality in my city. So they're starting to think differently. And if you think differently, the way I'm describing to you now, inevitably, it has to happen. 
you start judging success differently. Your definition of success changes because you realize no matter how big my congregation is, if I'm not making a real difference in the whole, I'm just, I'm just building my own little kingdom. And so that's what happened to me. I, I, you know, I just started being honest with myself. So I've got to redefine success. I'm called to a city, a region, eventually a nation. I'm not called to a few hundred people on Sunday morning only. I'm not sure that everyone listening to me now fully grasps yet how radical of a mindset change this is. As this happens, it is going to change everything in the body of Christ. The reason you've all, you've heard this before, but you know, we've never really experienced it here in America, but the reason that persecution usually makes the church stronger in other nations, China and places like that where they've had great persecution. Then you, when, when, when people finally get in to see what's happening in the church, they find the church got stronger and the church multiplied. Yeah, they had to do it underground. They had to do it in cell, you know, home churches, et cetera. But signs and wonders, dreams, vision, it's happening in Muslim nations right now. And it's because the persecution forces people out of their comfort and congregational safe zone. And people have to start thinking, man, none of that matters. We got to hear from God just on how to meet somewhere. And so everybody sort of just gets thrown into the same problem and persecution and things change radically and the kingdom of God becomes preeminent, not local churches. Which brings me to number three. And that is this will create and is creating more cooperation and less competition in the church among leaders. They're becoming cooperative, not competitive. Now, you're not seeing that across the board, obviously. Did you know there's a verse of scripture that actually says, King James is kind of brutal with their language. It says that when we, as believers, compare ourselves among ourselves, we're fools. No American standard is much nicer. It just says, when you do that, you're without understanding. <laughs> but Paul, he said it this way. This is 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. We are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves... <laughs> They're without understanding. If, if you're going to, in the church, the body of Christ as a part of the kingdom, if, if all we're doing is measuring our success based on one another, all of a sudden we're not trying to build the same corporation or kingdom in our case. We're just concerned about our little franchise now. That's what's happened in the church. What size is your church, brother? I used to get to where I just wanted to smack pastors when they do that. I just wanted to look at them and say, what's it to you? How many did you have this Easter? I used to, my, I had ushers that, I don't know where they got this, but somehow they got this mindset one day that they were going to start counting everybody that came and start reporting to me after the service. 
How many were there? And the first time or two they did, I said, what are you, what are you, do, what, why are you doing this? We just thought you'd want to know. I said, well, I really, I can see who's here. I really don't need the exact number. I'm not basing success on how many we can get in the door. I'm basing success on what are we accomplishing in extending the kingdom of God into this city, the rule of Jesus. How many people are getting saved, delivered? How are we doing in our schools? Well, so what's happening now is pastors, leaders around the country are, are, they're realizing how foolish this is, this game we play. Who can be the biggest? Who can have the shortest service to be the biggest? We're, we've learned how to package it so well we can do it. And first we, do, we could do it in an hour. Now some of them are down to about 45 minutes. I've been some, I don't know how I ended up there, but I sat in the front row and in my heart, I cursed two or three times. <laughs> I didn't say it out loud. I just kind of to myself, what the, am I doing here? Is that going out over the, it's out there, isn't it? Okay. What? All right. I repented. Okay. I'm clean now. So you will have 17. We, we normally have a 15 minute message, but we've changed a few things today and you're going to have 17 minutes. And I just looked at him and said, wow, thank you so much. But we've gotten so good at it, you know, we don't really need Holy Spirit anymore. And we don't want him. Don't talk and pray in tongues, no prophecy. We don't want any manifestations of Holy Spirit. We gotta, we gotta accommodate seekers. Maybe we ought to accommodate him. He said, I'll draw people to me. I don't know how I got off on that. I take, I, I just, I'm just backing up and starting over. I'm going to be nice again here for a few minutes. I will say this though, if, if, if every pastor in America would suddenly at a heart level begin to think, I don't care who's the biggest, and I don't care who has the most. And I'm not going to measure myself that way or compare myself that way. My only concern is how can we together impact this region for Jesus? If every pastor at a heart level felt that way, we could change this nation pretty much overnight. We have the resources, we have the people, we have the power, we have the authority. We could win every election. That's a fact. We are the majority. Don't believe what you hear. We are the majority. We just don't work together. So anyway, I'm just, I'm just saying this is changing. Doesn't mean everybody's going to change, but there is a group. There will be a strong group of leaders that think this way. And I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but you know, it's Tim and I've talked several times about what God uses him to do in this state and region, bring together pastors and leaders and praying for Ohio and now expand, expand, it's expanded to, to, to other states. But we talked about the fact that there's a, there's a large group of peop, leaders out there that, and most of them don't have mega churches, but they're just hungry to see God move. And I'm not knocking mega church pastors, by the way. Okay. There's some, there's some that are really good. You know, they think this way, but 
Most of them are, have smaller congregations, but that doesn't bother them because they're not judging things based on their size. They're judging based on, are we getting the job done for him? And there are thousands of them out there now. And they'll come. If you, if you bring you get a prayer gathering into their region, you may not have all the megas and you may not have 10,000 people there, but you'll have a core there and they'll be sprinkled out there in any given little small county or region. You'll have a dozen or 10 or 15 pastors there. They don't care about any of that stuff anymore. They just want, you calling together people to pray for my community, I'm there. And see, I'm finding that everywhere I go, there's this remnant of people that that's what they're all about now. And it's starting to make a difference. It's made a difference in this state. Big time. Okay, moving on. I've already decided I won't get all these done. But that's okay. I'll get the main ones and I'll skip one or two here and there. Leaders in this evolving church that's a part of the expanding kingdom are becoming more fivefold in their thinking apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. They're becoming more fivefold in their thinking because these gifts are not positions. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. It's not a hierarchy. They're not titles. Apostle so-and-so and prophet so-and-so. They are identifying function. And they are gifts. And if you read the passage carefully in Ephesians 4, what Jesus did was he, he divided his anointing into five anointings. That's what Christ means, the anointed one. And so he broke himself down into five gifts or anointings and gave them to the church as gifts so that the church could reveal and represent him on the earth. So he gave us his apostolic nature, anointing. He gave us his prophetic gifting, nature, ability, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Now he stands to reason, if you, if you only have a portion of those, you can only represent and reveal him at that portion. With the, to that portion. So if you have, if you have one fifth of Jesus anointing and gifting, you're going to be able to reveal and manifest a fifth of him. If you just, oh, he has the pastoral, you're going to be really good at pastoral things, nurturing, caring for people, feeding the sheep, tending sheep, etc. You're going to be build a family. You're going to be really good at that, but that's the only part of him. You're going to be able to really do well. Doesn't mean that that's bad. That's one of his that's, that's one of the five of who he is. He's the great shepherd. So you're never going to find me criticizing pastor gift. But if, if that's all you have, you're going to have a, a, a very dysfunctional kingdom expression. Because all you care about is this. You, you don't care what happens out there. But, you know, so... so if, so he's added now, you know, we started a half century ago, the church pretty much just had uh, pastors and then evangelists came along and then a decade or so later and through the charismatic movement, the teaching gift became preeminent and that was restored to us. And we had pastors and teachers and evangelists. And then during the eighties, part of the nineties, the prophetic was restored and prophets recognize, we realize, oh, okay, God's still talking. Go figure. <laughs> and then, of course, restored understanding to us of his apostolic nature. So it gets really confusing because 
what we have done is we, we have taken gifts and we've made them a position. So if you lead a congregation, you're, you're called a pastor in America. You may not really be a pastor gift. Like I was called a pastor for years. And that was kind of a joke when I really figured out what the pastor gift was all about. I mean, my idea of nurturing people and getting them healthy was just get over it. I mean, read your Bible, pray every day. You'll grow, grow, grow. Everything will be fine. Here's a good book. Go read it. It'll help you. But I, but I tried to be pastoral. And there was enough of that in me that at least I knew there had to be more than what I was able to or wanted to do. So I recognized, hey, there are some pastor gifts in the house. And I'll just empower them because that's what apostles do. I realized I'm apostolic in my thinking. Apostles think big picture. Apostles are generals. They're, they're legislators, they're governors, they're they're called to regions, not just a house. They send, they don't just gather. The very word means sent or send. And the reason as we have moved into fivefold thinking with apostles to many that are understanding this be, becoming the preeminent or the first priority to have the, to think apostolically is not because apostles are, the, are at the top and everybody's supposed to serve the vision of the apostle. It's that there's no other gifting that thinks more, how can I release, help, and empower all the other gifts to do what they're called to do? That's the way apostles think. The more apostol apostolic authority I've gained in this nation, the more I serve other people's vision. I don't go into churches, haven't done it one time in the last 30 years, go in and tell them, here's how you need to do things. I go in and asking the Lord, how can I help? What do you need me to do? How can I serve the vision of, of, of this region? And so that's the way apostles are supposed to, I'm not saying all of them do it perfectly. I'm just saying that's, the more you mature in an apostolic anointing, the more you're gonna be thinking the more of a servant you become, the greatest of all apostles was, his, was the servant of all. The one who gave us his apostolic anointing was the servant of all. It's not a hierarchy. It is how, that's the way an apostle thinks. Now, how, how can we work together and impact this region? Oh, I need a pastor. I need somebody to help these people on drugs. I need evangelists to go over here and do this. I, prophets, somebody tell me what God's saying about this problem we have. Teach. That's the way apostles think. Now, <clears throat> the reason that Satan, I'm not calling every people, everybody that disagrees with me theologically satanic, that they're motivated by demons, but I'm saying that the reason Satan fights this understanding of the fivefold giftings is because he doesn't want that mindset. He's very happy if the pastor gift, I'm not talking about the position, because a lot of people called pastor that do think apostolically. We took a gift and we made it a position. So, 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 so don't, don't, don't mix the two right now, I'm just talking gifting. But the reason, the reason that the enemy would want pastors in gifting and thinking and I got to just take care of the sheep. The reason he would want them to be predominant and preeminent, not apostolic, is because if he can just get us all relating to one another and we can all be happy and take care of each other, he's not really threatened. If it's a, if we're going to compare this to an army, the pastor would be the medic and the cook, taking care of the soldier. You got to have your reconnaissance and your network uh, gaining information, the prophets, you got to have the general, the apostle, you got to have the, the drill sergeants, 
You got to have evangelism, the recruiters. But you got to have somebody take care of these people. If you just leave it up to the prophet, he's not going to care if they get anything to eat or the grill sergeant. But somebody's got to take care of them or you're not going to have a, you're not going to have a healthy, strong army. But an army doesn't exist to be healthy. I, don't, I just feel like, I don't, I don't know where that went. That went over your heads or if you're just thinking. Or, an army doesn't exist to be healthy. An army has to be healthy to be a good army. But the general knows why the army exists. And he knows I need the drill sergeants and I need the recruiters and I need the instructors and I need the cooks and the medics and maybe some counselors when the drill sergeant's done. But he's never going to let it deteriorate into the only thing we care about is feeding these soldiers. He's got a big picture in mind. He's the kingdom guy. And he's going to make sure this thing is functioning in a certain way where when we need to, we can take territory and defend territory. We don't just feed people, we kill people. We'll sit at the negotiating table if we, if, at first, but when push comes to shove, we got what it takes to deal with this. And he's going to make sure that everything is operating in a way that this army can be an army. Now, whether they call themselves that or not, because there are some pastors that really do think that way. They call themselves a pastor, but really they're an apostle. Then there are other pastors who are called pastors. They're really just a pastor. And if you have that leading a congregation where it's a true pastor gift, and that's pretty much all that person moves in, you're going to have a nice, healthy, caring congregation, but they're really not going to be advancing the kingdom of God at any real level. They're just going to grow their thing. So we're starting to understand that we've got to, we've got to have all these things working together. And, you know, I talked the other night about the need for the apostolic and the prophetic to flow together and work together. You know, I, Chuck Pierce and I, we run together a lot. He's a prophet. He, some people call him an apostle because he's apostolic in his thinking, but his primary calling and gifting is that of a prophet. I've, he's looked at me several times. He said, well, I'm a prophet. I said, why do you think? How'd you get? I said, I'm a prophet. But I've never heard him say, well, I'm an apostle. He understands he's apostolic, but he's a prophet. I understand that I'm apostolic, that I'm an apostle. I'm also prophetic, but I'm not a prophet like Chuck Pierce. But when we work together, we both go to another level. His anointing rubs off on me. I prophesy more when I'm in a meeting with Chuck. He decrees and releases governmental authority into a region more when he's with me. He will look right at me and he'll say, and I'll say, why don't you go first tonight, Chuck? Or, or, or uh, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? He said, no, 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 no. I'll get up and introduce the people and do this and that, but I'll really start prophesying and my gift will kick in when you get up there because your apostolic anointing awakens my prophetic gift. So he get up and teach a little bit, but 90% of his prophesying and what he releases prophetically into the region comes after I speak or while I'm speaking. He come up, he'll come up and just in the middle of my message, start prophesying. But when these things be begin to work together without us being threatened by one another, not in competition with one another, then we can begin, we can do, we can get the job done. You know, I, I, there's coming another, another group of evangelists God's about to raise up. And this time they're not going to have to be out there doing their own thing and competing with the pastors and, and all the other, uh, you know, leaders to get an offering. We're all going to say, Hey, we need you, man. I think you're going to find pastors or evangelists on salary. They're not going to have to live off of meetings they do out there. They're going to be part of a team of people and your assignment is win the lost and help equip this group of people to win the laws. We're going to start working together in ways that, that, that will enable us, please hear this, to reveal, this is what Ephesians 4, after it mentions these gifts working together like a body, human body, 
This is what the passage is all about. It's just once you get to that point, then you can reveal the fullness of Christ. Because you have the fullness of the Christ anointings functioning, working now. Now you can reveal him fully. When this happens, we're going to manifest Jesus to a region. I'll say to the average church in America, the average leader that will look around as I have and see what, how we failed in so many ways. I say, well, we don't need apostles and prophets anymore. I just want to say, how's that working for you? How's that working? You think just reading the Bible is enough? You don't need a word for now from, that will be in line with Scripture? Sure. You don't need a prophetic word for God, to, for God to show us how to deal with this mess over here? You think just we're going to all get together and have some good ideas? You'd think we're going to just do that because most of us want to change it. We've gotten something done by now to change some of these problems. But we have to have, we have to have prophetic strategy and apostolic wisdom on how to apply it. And then you've got to have your recruiters and your trainers. And, your, and so... There's a, there's a group of people God is raising up in America that they're past the, the thing of this is a title. Oh, apostle, apostle. Oh my God, there's an apostle. I sat across from a lady once. She said, say something apostolic. I just went, Hello? There's a group of people there, they're past that sort of, not just elementary, but unbiblical understanding and realize we just, we all have different functions. We got to get all these things working together. And if we can, we can reveal Jesus, not just the pastoral Jesus, but the take charge Jesus. Not just the teaching Jesus, but the prophetic, decreeing, revealing, exposing Jesus. Talk about a game changer. Let me just do I'll do two more, but I'll do each one in like two or three minutes, and then we're going to transition. I don't know why we have to honor these guys today, but I guess we're going to. <laughs> somebody pastoral around here, I want to nurture and minister to somebody's heart thinking to myself, are you kidding me? So what we're becoming now in this process is we're builders, yes, but we're also forerunners and pioneers. See, once you get the apostolic and prophetic on board, it's not enough just to do this and build it's like, here's, here's a frontier out here that's not been dealt with. We're going to have to go get that. And, and, it's, and it's a very challenging calling. Because when you think about the synonyms of a forerunner, or a pioneer, a pathfinder, a scout, those are all people that go ahead and prepare the way for others to come. And if you're a scout for the wagon train, you're going to go down two or three passes that aren't the right one before you find the way through. You're never going to do things perfectly right or get it all right every time if you're a forerunner. Because you're going to be a risk taker. Somebody has to do that to save the wagon train. But you're going to at some point be able to come back and say, don't go down that road, you'll die this winter. That's a box canyon. Don't, do not do that. There's nothing to eat. Or, or you can't get through there. Or there's nothing to drink. What do we do? I found the way. It's over here. But it's, 
challenging. I mean, I watched Wagon Train. I know this stuff. <laughs> and they have to go out by themselves and check it out and take risks. And there, there's, there's an element in the, of the, in the church now that they're, they're tired of status quo. They're honest enough to say this hasn't been working. We're not getting the job done. So somebody's going to have to get out of the box and the safety zone and go on out there and say, well, let's try this. Well, you know, it didn't work well. Half this part worked, that part didn't. Okay, throw that away. Let's do this. And now we'll do this. And, and they're, they're listening, they're hearing, they're plowing, and they're going out there. And, and, and when all's said and done, somebody's pioneered a new way of doing it and a new way of thinking. That's what apostolic and prophetic leaders do. Now, you may know a pastor that did that, but I would say to you, if, if that pastor did that, he's primarily a pastor in title, but he has some other gifting in there that's apostolic and prophetic. Don't mix up the gift and the position or the title we've given him. You know, there's a, there's a, purchase in our, in our growth as America when we purchased Alaska from Russia. And it was in the day called Seward's Folly. Because when Mr. Seward said, we need to purchase this, and Russia was hard up for cash, and so we ended up buying that whole territory up there which is, I think, what, like a third the size of the rest of the country? For a dollar an acre is what it boiled down to in today's terms. It's like $100, $110 million in today's uh, money, 120 maybe. In the day, it was called Seward's Folly. <laughs> it was not a folly. <laughs> but somebody had to be forward thinking. Somebody had to be willing to take a risk, to be stretched at the time financially, to do some things. You know, maybe it's wrong. Okay, but it's worth the risk. Let's try it. That's, that's the way forerunners think. And, and they don't care if they're persecuted, by the way. They, and if they have to have a message that's different, like John the Baptist, they're okay with that because they know somebody's got to prepare the way for him. For him coming behind me and for the people coming behind me. And when he gets here, he'll do things differently. Anyway, he's a forerunner. I watched, I, I've watched the evolution in a lot of leaders, myself included. I watched it in Tim who has this understanding that I've been talking to you about today has evolved and it's been happening in many leaders, him being one of them. And I've watched him, his focus change, just like mine did, where he became more and more concerned about the region and less in proportionate not at a heart level of love, but proportionately less fixated on what happens right here. This became a hub and a family unit to facilitate that. That's different. That's a forerunner. And people will leave you after that, over that, by the way, because when the sheep figure out that they're not the most important anymore, the sheep will find somebody else that will make them the most important. And that, uh, there are places that do not care if all you ever are is a sheep. They like sheepies. They don't care if you never become an eagle or an ambassador of the kingdom or a representative of the roaring lion himself taking territory. They don't care. They're happy for you to just be a happy sheep. But thank God for forerunners and pioneers. 
Because the landscape, believe me, I'm out there, I see it. The landscape in America, spiritually speaking, is changing. It's changing. And there are many, many, many times more of us that think this way now than there were 15 and 20 years ago. Let me do one more. I just alluded to it, so all I have to do is basically just say it. We're becoming sheep conscious, but mission focused. Okay? Never, never, the great shepherd is never going to bring a movement that doesn't care about, it, about his family, and which he symbolizes with sheep, you know, Call it what you want, family, body of Christ. Obviously, he's, he's not going to do that. And he went out of his way to minister to the one. But when he did that, it did not become the norm. The king was always thinking mission, the kingdom. For God so loved the world. Come on, help me world. I mean, he's going to set the example. If he's, got a, if he's got a snake over here and minister to the one, he's going to do it, but he's still going to make his way over here and teach 10,000 on, on a hillside. So we're, 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 I'm not implying that the one is not important, but I'm saying that apostolic leaders and kingdom thinking people are more focused on the overall mission of the king than just the one. Now, a wise apostolic leader who does that will have somebody on the team that just loves to sit with one and put band-aids on, tell them they're gonna be okay and love on them and minister Jesus, the great shepherd, and his healing to them, and show them how to fix their marriage. That's a good thing. Yes, it is. It's one of the five. But somebody's got to sit back and say, okay, got that covered. What else are we doing here? Okay, let's go kick some butt over here in this prayer meeting. So we're never going to lose love for his people, the sheep, but we're going to make sure they grow up into eagles, and warriors, and ambassadors of the kingdom. So let me pray a pastoral blessing over you real quick. <laughs> and then who am I handing this to? Rachel. Lord, you're doing a good job. He said, as the king of the kingdom, you would build your church. He said, you would increase the family and save the lost. But you also told us you're the king of an ever-increasing, never-ending, always triumphant kingdom. And as you have been building and expanding, we are doing our best to listen. And I'm asking you to manifest fully what I saw Friday night, this window in the spirit opening of revelation, wisdom and revelation. I'm asking for the, the disillusionment that many leaders have had about the way we've been thinking and doing things would increase until we are just completely dissatisfied 
until we are truly thinking with kingdom mindsets, representing you into our cities, our states, nations, always while we love people and nurture them and win the lost. I'm asking in this house that has become an apostolic hub for the nation. If this service is anything like recent services, a few hundred people here, but tens of thousands will see it around the nations. As this hub increases in its scope, I thank you for, and I know that the anointing and the mantle, the weight of the mantle and the wisdom needed and the revelation needed in leadership will continue to increase. Let that happen significantly. Let the revelation increase significantly in Tim and the team and the body, the family and the wisdom and authority. Thank you for his willingness and Carol's heart to, to be risk takers, to pioneer. To know there'll be hiccups and failures here and there, but we'll keep advancing. We'll figure it out. And it's happening, Lord. It's absolutely happening. We thank you for that. But I'm, I know now that I'm talking to thousands of people who I know that I know that I know their hearts are resonating with this message. Give them understanding, revelation. Give us books on this and teachings. Let apostles and teachers grab this and bring significant wisdom and instruction on how to move into it and how to change systems and structures. And Lord, it's all about you. So we just say in closing this prayer, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So we pray your kingdom come and your will be done. And we're going to submit to you.